right. Good morning, everybody. Y'all glad to be here? Say amen. Come on. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I see, uh, hey, I see some pretty faces on this beautiful Sunday morning. So, hey, listen, this is what a 1969 model looks like. So, hey, you do, you do the math and you'll know the details. But anyway, hey, I, I was asked this morning, hey, how's it feel? And I said, well, hey, it feels pretty good, actually. I, I feel good. Praise the Lord. Hey, there's a couple things going on that I want you to know about. If you have students that are junior high, high school age, we have plans for them next week. There's a camp at Lake Teocata. We're going to take a group of students. I think about a dozen students will leave tomorrow about 11 o'clock. And so, parents, if you have questions about that or students, if you have questions about that, Suge is in the back corner back there. So he'll answer your questions, help you uh, with any details that you might have about that. I also want to say that um, there was some work that went on this past week. So a group of your guys got together and went and helped at the farm, Eddie's farm and cut grass and that kind of thing. I want to say thank you guys that loaded up your mowers and went and participated and helped with that. I know it blessed him. And the last thing I wanted to say to you, hey, we have a team of guys that have been working, I guess, for the last few months since May working on the parsonage at Temple Baptist Church in Biloxi. Daniel and Sherry Allen have stepped into that role as new pastor. And this is his first church to pastor. And the parsonage was really, you know, in disrepair and that kind of thing. And so you guys as a church family have, have gone and contributed and helped work on that. They have homecoming today, so you're invited for lunch. That's about 1230. So anyway, if you want to do that, you're welcome to do that. You may say, well, I haven't been over there hanging sheetrock or doing any kind of plumbing or anything like that, but you have given. I want you to know that your contributions have really helped get them down the road because it was a total gut and redo. And so anyway, thank you for being part of that. I want you to know that you're part of more ministry than just what you see on Sunday when you walk in and you're blessing that ministry there. I think that's all I've got to say. All right, come on. Stand to your feet, everybody. Welcome to the assembly. It's going to be good for us this morning that if you can stand that you shake the, the hand next to you, turn around, welcome somebody to the assembly. Glad you're here. Yep, hey, welcome. Hey, you. Hey, we, wel we, wel we welcome you as guests and family. Hey, it's good to be in the house of the Lord together. We want to uh, just let you know that if you're a guest, we're honored that you're here. We want you to feel welcome, and absolutely, we want you to come back. We want you to Hey, feel at home, if I can help you, or if we can help you as a church family. And anyway, we definitely want to do that. So I'm going to set the context before I read the scripture. We have been working together as a faith family, and we will, throughout this summer, working our way through the, the letter of 1 Timothy. And we have learned things like the importance of, or the importance of close relationships, we have learned the importance and necessity of sound doctrine. That means, you know, ground, grounded solidly in biblical truth. We've learned the fact that, hey, this spiritual journey is filled with battle and struggle, spiritual warfare. Last week, there was a real challenge to, to men and to the prayer life of men specifically. And today switches gears, and we turn the spotlight on the role of women in ministry. As I read the text today, it's going to, you know, it's going to really sound unfamiliar as it has to do with how you hear 
women spoken of, you know, normally in regular conversation. But I want to speak in such a way that you understand that there's, there's life in the text, that there's value here as we think about order in the life of the New Testament church. So it's that context. First Timothy chapter 2, the framework for the family is really setting in place parameters for us to function well in a healthy manner for, hey, for generations and for years to come. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. If you got it, say, I got it. Come on. Hey, listen, if y'all help me this morning by saying amen a lot, this sermon will be painless and fast. And we'll celebrate. We'll go, hey, we'll go eat catfish or something. I don't know. All right, here's the text. Verse 8. I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere. In this posture, but more than that, with this attitude, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. It's, it, it speaks to posture, but it speaks more loudly to attitude and the reality of a, of a life that's undefiled. Now, there's connection in like manner also, or in the same way, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety, moderation, not with braided hair, or gold, or pearls, or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness and good works. And so there's this introduction of a seat at the table in the function of the New Testament church and specific instruction, let a woman learn in silence or, or quietness and peacefulness with all subjection or submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority. That language is to lord it over or to, or to dominate man, but to be in quietness and stillness. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression, a, a, a view back to the garden, if you will. Nevertheless, she has saving grace. I mean, there is this compatibility as we look at the function of, of man and, and woman put together in this collection of New Testament body to run in our lane specifically and to glorify Christ, edify the body, and this contribution that, that woman makes that nobody else can make. I want, I want to celebrate the uniqueness of our individuality. God is not... God is not confused about gender. Can I get some help? I mean, come on, listen. We, we live in a culture that is absolutely obsessed and confused with, with gender identity and gender roles. I mean, we've come to a place in our culture specifically where uh, women who give birth to a baby are not referred to as woman, but to the birthing parents. It's, it's this gender neutrality and all that stuff and so I speak into that culture I get it a culture that is you know diverse in views of gender where God is very specific where there is a plan and a design for man that only he can fulfill and for woman the same thing a man can't be a woman and a woman can't be a man and they can't function well in the role that's not theirs come on somebody hey listen I, I, say, I say it like this 
It's necessary for us to walk through these conversations as a brand new fellowship of, the, of believers and that we look into truth and we look deeply and we look hard and we look long because this is the pillar and ground of truth. Verse 15 is our theme verse. There's got to be a voice in the culture that speaks the truth and does so unapologetic, unapologetically but plainly and God has spoken so. So gender, God speaks to that. He speaks to the functionality of believers together in the faith family. Your role as a woman, my role as a, as a man, specifically our roles as children of God in Christ so that the church is edified, God is glorified, and we are sanctified by the grace of God. Father, bless your people. I pray you'd encourage us today for Jesus' sake. Amen. As you're seated, I want to say welcome. I get, I get it. If you're a guest today, uh, you're probably caught off guard by the text. Just know that we're walking, we're walking through this conversation. First Timothy, necessary. I'll, I'll pull us back to the very first message, the first conversation that we had about these, about these specifics that are found in this letter. Verse 15 of chapter 3 is the central idea and theme of the passage. And here's what it says. If I tarry long or, or if I'm delayed, this is from the aged apostle to the young pastor, I want you to know how you are to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. And so this context speaks specifically into the life of the gathered believers, the assembly. Everybody got that? Say, I got it. Come on. All right, listen. Now, I'm the guy on the platform, and I'm speaking into a culture. This is going to be the most televised Facebook feed from your pastor for the whole year. I promise you. And so I get it. I'm speaking into a culture that is really, you know, I don't know, pushing, pushing back from the normatives I'll read. But just know this. My purpose today is not to, is not to degrade or downplay or, or to speak against those ladies that are being used on a national and global platform. I mean, listen, hey, the truth about our culture today is there are some women voices that are, you know, they have global audience. I mean, you, some of you guys and ladies are familiar with Beth Moore and Lisa Turkhurst and, you know, some of those ministries that are, I mean, they're global. They're making a massive impact for the kingdom. And so it's, you know, it's not my it, it's not my business to speak into that. What I'm going to bring us to is a conversation in the local context. This local assembly, as Paul writes to Timothy, he is instructing him on how to lay things in order in this context of Ephesus, where these group of believers, you know, hey, they are living out the life as a New Testament church. And so there's instruction and parameters that are being spoken, so there's not chaos. Our God is not a God of chaos, but a God of order. And so these kinds of texts, they govern us. They, they really speak so that we have some rails on which to, to run. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 40 says, Hey, let all things be done decently and in order. In other words, you know, hey, there is there's an order to, to how we do life together. So with your guard up, it's, 
it's this beginning that I want to, that I would just kind of want to speak and disarm you a little bit. So there's four thoughts that I want to lay on your plate before I even get into the text. The first is this. There are no second class citizens in the kingdom of God, in his church, or in heaven. I mean, here's the reality. We, we get the fact that the ground is, is level at Calvary, whether you're Jew or Greek or rich or poor or male or female. There is no distinction. And so we find our, ourselves with equality because of what Christ has done. The second thought that I'll put on your plate is this. Christianity, in fact, the life of Jesus himself, elevates the status of women in such a way that it had never been done before. I mean, just think of, of a culture, and still that way, largely in Middle Eastern context, where the women are second-class citizens. There really is no place at the table for them. Into this culture walks Jesus and elevates the status of women and honors them. Here is what one writer says about this reality. He says, In no way does the New Testament treat women as spiritual inferiors. The first person Jesus revealed his messiahship to was a Samaritan woman in John 4, verse 25. That's how we got our name, that text right there. The woman at the well, she meets Jesus. She has a train wreck of a life, and she encounters Jesus. He changes her direction. She goes back into the city understanding who Jesus is and is an evangelist, a, pro, a proclaimer of the good news of Christ. She is the, the first. In contrast to prevailing practice of the rabbis of Jesus' day, he taught women. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. That was not the norm. Women ministered to Jesus and the disciples. We find that in Luke chapter 8 and verse 2. Following his resurrection, Jesus appeared first to a woman. Mark 16 and verse 9, she again was the first one to introduce the resurrected Christ. He's alive. It's, um, it's a primary place. Peter reminds men that women are to be granted honor as fellow heirs of the grace of life. 1 Peter 3, 7. The fruits of the Spirit are for both men and women. In short, all the promises, commands, and blessings of the New Testament apply equally to men and to women. There is honor for both. Everybody's still okay. Come on. Here's the third statement, and that is this. In a very real sense, every believer is a minister of Christ, saved, gifted, equipped, and expected to be on mission. We, we collectively share that. And that was a woman saying amen in the congregation. Praise the Lord. Here is, you know, here's where the rubber meets the road. You know, I was thinking through our, our process. Women have played a key role in the formation and planning of Harvest Church. Before I was on the scene as planting pastor, there was a community of believers who met together in home on champion circle in the wind dance community around you know sunday morning table and conversation and most of the instruction given by a lady that's part of our beginning as we progressed and stepped into this reality of planning 
Harvest Church in Gulfport in this city for this season, the leadership team that you guys approved and elected, part of that team was female, women who had a voice in the conversation, helping guide the, the narrative so that we could have that perspective to make good decisions. So that's part of our heritage. And you may say, well, the text is this, you know, is fuzzy on this. And so there, there are, there's a lot that I want to say. But just, just know that each of us approach Scripture with certain bias and experience. You do and I do. And so we approach Scripture from 21st century American perspective. That's how we look at a Bible that's written first century with Jewish perspective and custom. So we approach the text with certain bias and experience. It's especially necessary as we approach these kinds of texts to do so with an awareness that my experience and my bias may, ch may be challenged by Scripture. All right? Y'all got it? So when, when the challenge occurs, it's time for the student to mine the passage, to dig in the passage for truth, and then apply the principles taught to life. It is not the student's job to adapt the text to culture. It is the student's opportunity to align with God's Word. All right? And so we step into it knowing that our context is different. It's, you know, it's a different culture and custom, and yet we look into the Word of God, as we always do, as a mirror, as a reflector. It changes us. We don't change or dominate the Word of God. So the discussion for today will attempt to gain the best possible perspective of the role of women in the assembly, as it has to do with, with ministry. That's as far as I can go to set this up. So you guys are still here, so let's dive in, right? Hey, let's enjoy. Let's have a little fun. So uniqueness is, hey, that's part of God's plan. That's part of God's design. Our unique God-given roles, they are complementary in, in nature, and they have been from the very beginning. And so what we get is an overall instructive in this text that literally lends itself to, to bring order to the assembly. At some point today, I, I really need to, to, to help you guys understand that, that part of the reason for this text and part of the reason for the text in 1 Corinthians that's, that speaks to all kind of chaos going on in the assembly, speaking in tongues and speaking out of turn and everybody prophesying and lots of disorder. Paul speaks into that context and he brings order. So today we, we do that. Let's look, first of all, at the heart of a godly woman. I think that's a great place for us to start because the language is connective. And so for the men, they're instructed to pray everywhere. And that is to pray for governors, pray for those in authority, pray for the president, pray for leadership, and do so with lifting of holy hands. And that does not speak just to standing up and lifting up your hands and looking up to heaven. I mean, Prayer posture looks different at different seasons. 
speaking of what's going on in the heart and what's going on in the life. It's this idea that holy hands, they're blameless before God. It has to do with this living out a life that's honoring to God, not with wrath and doubting and all that, that stuff. And so that's connected to the instruction for the woman in like manner. So if he's speaking to the heart of man, he's speaking to the heart of woman as well. In this text, certainly, I mean, there's, there's language that speaks into attire and that kind of thing. So let's look at that for a minute. I mean, there is this, you know, there's this description of, of braided hair and wearing of gold and, you know, um, costly array. Has to do with apparel. So let's just deal with that, okay? Let's get that off the table. So when I was a young preacher in, in Bible college, you know, I'd sit around the table with other young preachers who were dumb and didn't know everything, and we'd talk about women wearing pants in church and, you know, should a woman wear makeup and all that kind of junk. Anybody ever been in a church where women couldn't wear pants, couldn't wear makeup? I look back on those conversations and I say, man, how dumb were you? I mean, really, that's, that's not the broader issue. I mean, there, there's some instruction as it has to do with apparel, and that is modesty, and that is orderly. That is something that's befitting, and that speaks into the context of the church at Ephesus where there is the pagan worship of Diana. I mean, that's the epicenter of, of Diana worship, a temple, a pagan temple where there's prostitution and all kinds of, you know, focus upon the femininity of the woman as an object of worship. And Paul says, don't be like that. Don't bring attention to yourself by the way that you dress. In other words, on Sunday morning in our culture, if your biggest concern is being the center of attraction as you walk into the assembly, then you've got it all wrong. So it speaks of moderation. It speaks of it speaks of order, orderly. And so you wouldn't dress as a prostitute to come and worship in the assembly as a believer. Nor would you shun a guest that walks in the door. Come on, somebody. It's a it's a hey, this is a loving environment where everybody is welcome. We want to see people changed, saved by the grace of God. All right, everybody take a deep breath. Come on. Hey, this, this is, is this heavy? It's heavy? All right. Isn't it good to know that, that God, that God speaks, that there is, I mean, that, that there is a, a, a narrative that we step into that, that provides order that provides balance, that helps us navigate well. Even in the 21st century where, I don't know, hey, where it's different, where there's nothing but chaos. So attire, hey, that's a dress, uh, which literally is modesty and orderly, that of good behavior. The second part of this has to do with attitude. And so the language is propriety. If you have an old King James text, the language is shamefacedness. It literally uh, speaks to reverence. And it has to do with this reflection of the heart that is fitting for everyone, whether he's a man or woman. And that is humility. As we approach 
worship. We do so humbly before God. As we approach His Word, we do so with humility, with the ability to be taught and knowing that, um, hey, we, we are in su- subjection to God because He is God and we are not. We're here to worship and to honor Him. So this attitude of propriety and shamefacedness, that is reverence, which ultimately can be summed up in this idea of humility. So there absolutely is instructive. It's pointed at the women. But in this case, guys, come on. I mean, we can, we, we can line up with this, can't we? I mean, as it has to do with, 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 with our dress as well. You know, there's a lot made about a person's dress and all that kind of stuff. And I get it. What's, what's the plan? What's the, you know, what's the, what's the word? Moderation. Decency. Do what's, do what's in order. Not to call attention to yourself. What's the attitude? It's humility. Then actions of a godly woman are spoken to in this text. And it has to do with godliness and good works. And so what we find is these, these women who are providing vital ministry in the New Testament context. I mean, they not only have a seat at the table, but they are busy in ministry. This idea of godliness has to do with character. It has to do with this influence of a, of a godly character on the whole. Godliness. It's good for women to be godly and men to be godly and follow after Christ with our whole hearts. For the woman in this text, it speaks loudly to the idea of faithfulness. And I've just got to tell you, in my experience as a pastor over the last 20-something years, I can tell you that lots of times the most faithful people in the congregation are women. Let me just say it like this. If there were no women, we wouldn't have much church. Good works, what is, what is that? That is labor and toil. Really speaks to the dynamic of, you know, investment. Laboring for the cause of the kingdom. Investing in the ministry of the local church. You know, I stopped and, and asked myself some questions today. Or not today, but, you know, studying. I mean, listen, hey, this is a hard subject for your pastor. I'll be really honest about that. I've studied more about this passage than I have any of these passages. And then I reflect and I think about ministry life. I think about, what it, hey, what would it be life? What, are we, what, what would it be like to be the pastor without Janice by my side? Helping me. Giving me a different perspective. Looking at my sermon notes and adding necessary elements. What would your experience be like today if there, if there were no women? I mean, hey, you see me on the platform today. And, and you don't necessarily think about what's going on in other places. I mean, I'm the preacher. I get the platform. But without other ministry happening, it's a, it's a shallow experience. I mean, think about what goes on with the worship and song and all the, that the ladies bring and pour out their hearts in, in ministry. What about this reality that every week, man, that there are ladies who sacrifice being in the assembly and sitting next to their husband and, and listening to the Word of God because they find it necessary to, to minister, to labor. And so they're changing diapers and they're taking care of babies and doing, I mean, listen, that's unique. 
it's, 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 not a, it's not a limited role. That's not what, you know, that's not the only sphere in which women operate. It just is magnified because when you look around, you'll see that the, the healthy church thrives because of a cooperation and ministry with everybody. That was a tirade that wasn't in my notes. Cancel that out of uh, Facebook feed. So actions, that has to do with sobriety. It has to do with self-control. And I, I spoke to this already, but if you want to look at the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, you see the chaotic scene where there's all kinds of people speaking out of turn and tongues and prophesying and all that. No order in the assembly. And they're silencing of women because they're the major disruptors. And so there's order set in place, the parameters in which a healthy church functions. The admonition leads us into the ministry of the godly woman. So as a, a woman in the 21st century, let's just say Harvest Church, 15523 Landon Road. Hey, how does, how does a woman's ministry fit into this context? I think that's a great question because part of our goal is that everybody find themselves on mission. Not that you just come sit on Sunday and listen to a sermon and go back home, but that you come and you and you listen and you worship together and then you connect in small group and you learn maybe even from a woman in that small group home context, which is biblical, by the way, Priscilla and Aquila. They instructed Apollos more excellently in their home. Absolutely functional. How does ministry fit it? Here's some notes. We must never underestimate the importance of the place of a godly woman in the ministry of a local New Testament church. The gospel message had a tremendous impact on women because it affirmed their value before God and their equality in the body of Christ. Women had a low place in the Roman world, but the gospel changed that. They, there were devoted women who ministered to Jesus in the days of his earthly ministry. Women were present at the crucifixion and the burial, and the woman was first to herald the glorious news of Jesus' resurrection. In the book of Acts, we meet Dorcas and Lydia and Priscilla and godly women in the Berean and Thessalonian churches. Paul greeted at least eight women in Romans 16. Phoebe, who carried the Roman epistle to its destination and was a deaconess in the local church, and we'll talk about that at another time. Many believing women won their husbands to the Lord and then opened their homes because there were no church buildings. They opened their homes for Christian ministry. So what can we speak in this text where there is quietness and where there is humility on the part of the woman? How does that speak into the ministry life of this valuable resource and part of the New Testament church? And that's godliness. That has to do with piety. That has to do with living and being a godly example. That has to do with good works. It's, hey, it's a necessary part of who we are. Let's talk about this idea of a, a woman's ministry in the local New Testament context, not just as necessary. There is a role that women have in this context that can only be done by women. The second part of that is, it's not a secondary role, it's primary. As we look into the life of the recipient of this letter, what's his name? Come on. 
Timothy. So Timothy has this heritage, a godly heritage, where his mom and his grandmother, they are responsible for teaching him the way of Christ and leading him to faith in Christ. How can I say it? Moms, there's not a greater influence in the ear of your children than you. It's primary. It's absolutely primary as, you know, as it has to do with ministry. Maybe the greatest contribution that you make to, to the world is raising godly kids. First ministry is home ministry. That's true for me, and that's true for you as well. It took me some years to learn that. For years, my ministry centered on pastor and everybody else and not the people around my table. That changed for me in 2018. That became primary. So that's first ministry. What about foster ministry? I mean, this church has been all about fostering. I mean, there's families here that have adopted kids. Let me ask you a question. How many of, of y'all grew up in church? How many of you had a Church mama, how many of y'all got spanked in the church by somebody who wasn't your mom? It's because of the ministry of women in the church. They cared enough to say, take your hat off when you come inside or quit running down the hall or don't jump over the pews. It's that kind of, it's that kind of, it's, it's fostering. Listen, I don't know if you know it or not. But in this chaotic culture, there needs to be a greater community in which you raise your kids, primarily at home. I mean, teaching the truth, living the truth, but then a, a faith community where they can be influenced by other godly men and other godly women and grow, you know, as believers in Christ. Here is the truth, man. Man simply cannot do what women do by nature. God created women to nurture. They have a place. And it's, you know, hey, it's primarily at home. It's, it's secondary as a foster parent. And, and listen, hey, there's a place for exercising your giftedness. I don't know if you've looked into your unique giftedness or not. Maybe you are gifted to teach. Do you have a role? Absolutely. Can God use you in that vein? Absolutely. Titus gives us a window. The aged women, likewise. They be in behavior as becomes holiness, not false accusers or given to much wine, but teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet and chaste and keep us at home. All the things that young women need to know. How are they going to learn that? They're not going to learn that from the preacher. Going to learn that from watching godly women. And how do we look at the roles, the ministry? I think we look deep into the text and we see this complimentary idea. And I think it's, it's lost in our culture where everybody wants to be what they're not. It's complimentary all the way back from the beginning. I mean, think about this creation. Who was formed first? Adam. Adam was formed out of the dust of the ground. God breathed into his nostril. He became a living soul. From Adam, Eve was taken. She was taken from Adam. She was created for Adam. Why? Because God saw him and he saw that it was not good that he was alone. First thing God ever said was not good was Adam in the garden by himself. God created a, 
a helper, a helpmeet for him, a completer of him. And so her role is complementary all the way from the beginning. So for somebody to look at this text and to say, well, this is out of date for where we are and our time and all that kind of thing, that's ruled out because he goes all the way back to the garden. Good then, good, good now. Why? Is it because she's not as talented or as gifted or whatever? No. It's that her role is different. Her role is complementary. What was the, the movie that uh, Tom Cruise was in with that girl and they fell in love and all that kind of stuff? And the sta- statement was, he completes me or whatever. Y'all remember that? Jerry Maguire? I don't know if that's a Christmas movie or not. Probably not. But it's the idea. It's <laughs> delete that. It, it's it's, it's, it, it, it's complimentary. That's the idea. That's the thought. The order of creation, God created Eve for, from Adam and for Adam. Her role is complementary. In marriage, you know, marriages that get out of whack and out of line, it's because they have no order. It's, it's God's design in marriage for the husband to be the head of the wife. And like Christ is the head of the church. You say, well, she's more gifted, she's more talented, whatever. It's God's, it's God's order. Has been from the beginning. And it is today. It's functioning in our own lane. Does not mean that they're not compatible, that they're not equal. It just simply means that this has to do with order. And so it flows into the local church. Order in the church, not a matter of giftedness, ability. There's probably a lot of you ladies out here could preach a whole lot better than me. Janice does a better job than me. She just preaches Monday through Saturday. Not a matter of giftedness, ability, or desire. God's design for leadership in the assembly is given to man. It's for order. The ministry of woman is complementary. It's a matter of order. Our God is a God of order. The last part of the text could be somewhat confusing. As it has this language that the woman could be saved in childbearing. And so in the first read, your response may be, well, a woman can be saved by giving birth to children. Well, that's, that's the incorrect way to look at that passage. That would absolutely fly in the face of all that is taught in salvation throughout the New Testament. We know that a person is saved by grace through faith in Christ. So what is the, what is the bigger picture? What is the language of the text? The language of the text goes back to the garden. It's reflective. And so here's what we find in Genesis chapter 3. We find this tragic, uh, this, this, this tra- tragic decision as the serpent enters the garden and he beguiles Eve and she is deceived. And then she takes of the forbidden fruit and she gives to her husband and he partakes willingly. So she's deceived, but he willingly disobeys and rebels against the authority of God. So authority is all out of whack in that context. And yet, it's immediately after this in verse 15 where the first light of a possibility for hope comes on the scene. I mean, it's this setting of darkness where man has become flawed for the first time. Innocence is now brokenness. And, and hey, there's this train wreck that has to be rectified outside of man himself. And so God in His grace 
makes a covering for them, a covering of blood, which is symbolic of that which is to come. And in the midst of that, he speaks to this reality that in the midst of their brokenness, God has given a promise that humanity, not just the woman, but humanity as a whole, is going to be saved through the childbearing of a woman. This uniqueness that God has given her is not secondary. In fact, it's the reality that without her, hey, we would all be lost without hope and without God. It is, ab- it is absolutely essential to to see ourselves in this mirror of Scripture as completing God's plan, which is good. It's redemptive. It is it's orderly. It speaks to, to His love and His grace toward us. It's this idea of, of restoration. Hey, what if, what if Mary had not humbled herself and become obedient to the will of God. Listen to this statement. Mankind has been rescued because of the humble obedience of a girl named Mary. The salvation of humanity rested in the uniqueness of what only woman could accomplish. It is ironic that in the area of the woman's curse, the pain of childbirth is where she triumphed greatest. She gave birth to the Messiah. The continuation of godly women rearing godly sons and daughters and investing in the ministry of the local church is the best chance a godless world has of hearing and responding to the gospel. Man, listen, I have watched. I mean, as a pastor, I get a front row seat of what God's doing in so many circles, in so many arenas, so many parts of life. And so I sit back, and I'm just humble because of the people that God puts around me. And then I watch, I watch people run in their lanes and work in their unique giftedness, whether it's teaching or whether it's evangelism and bringing folks to faith in Christ. The first person ever saved at Harvest Church is because of Christie's ministry at, at the school. I mean, it's, it's that kind of narrative into which we speak and we seek God's hand and God's order. There's a place for you to minister. minister. So you say, what's the prohibition? What's the prohibition? As you begin to read chapter 3, and you can read ahead. Some of y'all read ahead and said, I'm coming today just because I want to hear what he got to say. Well, you read ahead and look at the next text, and it begins like this. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good thing. Steps into the context of leadership. What's forbidden in the text? If we take away a forbidding statement in the parameters of this text, we see the leadership of the local church, the pastoral head, elder, relegated to that of a man and not of a woman. Does not negate her value. It just very simply places order where it's necessary. I'm done. Stand to your feet. Come on. Everybody take a deep breath. Unique. Embrace it. Hey, God's design is perfect. It's good for us to be reminded of it.
I love you in Jesus. Terry's going, you're going to lead us in the song? How's that going to work, Terry? We're going to find out. Okay. If it don't come on, hey, we'll sing together. Best way we know how. You just pray and we'll get it in a minute. I'm going to pray. <laughs> Let me pray. Lord, bless your people. Thank you for bringing order in a world that's chaotic. Thank you, God, for giving us guidelines and, and rails in which to operate according to your unique and divine design. When we find our fulfillment in that, it's great joy. Harmony that's complementary in every way. And so, God, I pray that, that you'd grow the body of believers. As, as we sit at the table and we learn hard truths, we dig into hard texts and we're challenged by what you have to say to us, how we operate together as a people that reflects your son to a lost world. Help us to do it well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.